is an Odyssey original. This is KDX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Charles Feldman. A new role for actors walking the picket lines. We'll go in-depth. Also, how local restaurants are going to be impacted by this Hollywood production crisis. And heat waves can make you very angry. Very angry. But uh, if you say you want to cool off, one good way to do it is to maybe hang out in bed all day. All day? All day. I mean, like, all day. Staying in bed all day. You know, that sounds actually pretty good. It does sound like a very good idea. Bye. We start, we start, though, with the, uh, it does sound good, we start with the Hollywood Actors' Strike. With us now is Gabrielle Coteris, past president of SAG-AFTRA. She was, in fact, in that position just before Fran Drescher took over in 2021. Gabrielle, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. How are you? I- I'm fine. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Just came off the line. It's hot outside, for oh, sure. Oh, yeah, I, <laughs> it is certainly hot. <laughs> Uh, let me start with, you know, if I hear the phrase uh, inflection point one more time, I swear <laughs> I'm going to rip my own head off. Uh, but I do get what people mean. There is this sense mm-hmm. that there is something radically about to change in Hollywood, the way Hollywood does its business in the future. But I'm not sure anybody really knows what it will be, what it will look like. Can you tell us? I think we're already experiencing the change, and I would say it's beyond Hollywood. I'm also the president of FIA, which is the International Federation for Actors, and this change that we're experiencing is a change that's occurring on a global level. And so it's been really, uh, we've all been put up against the wall as performers around the world, but um, it's not just performers. When you look at what's going on, you talk about this inflection point, uh, what's going on, it's actually, uh, it's it's corporate greed coming to the very peak of its existence and trying to find a way now to say no more. We deserve to be compensated fairly. You have to stop taking off the backs of workers, um, you know, uh, the profits, and you have to start sharing, sharing in the success. And that's really what this is about. It's about dignity and giving respect to um, all the people who help to create the very things that we've really enjoyed um, throughout the decades. And particularly, we've noted that we've enjoyed it since the pandemic, which was, it was our work, your work, our work, um, that really helped to sustain a country and a world in a very trying time. So the time is now for us to be able to be, uh, for everything to be evaluated, reevaluated, and for compensation to be put out fairly. And one of the big concerns, artificial intelligence. Um, mm. I know that uh, one thing that uh, the union had talked about was the the producers wanted to be able to uh, take a background player for one day's work, pay them just for one day, scan their faces and bodies, and be, be able to use them forever. Was there kind of concern about a slippery slope with that? If they do that with background actors, eventually they can do that with all actors. And then at some point in the uh, near future, if there's an actor strike, the studios wouldn't care because they've got you all on CGI. Everybody's yeah, in a library. And when you say background actors, those are human beings who have families to take care of. They're not just a, a commodity, a moment. They, this is the work that they do for all of us. The AI situation, the concerns that are being uh, really shown here within our uh, negotiations are the very similar concerns throughout all different uh places of work, not just in our industry. So I work also with the AFL-CIO. And if you hear from the teachers and you hear from the nurses, 
AI is a situation we all are faced with this challenge and we all have to stand together right now. So yes, this is, uh, it's, it is starting here where they're saying they want to do it with background, but it will go with the writers, with the broadcasters, it will go everywhere um, if we do not find a way to rein it in and have uh, boundaries. There are some uh, strikes that, you know, affect greatly the people, of course, who are in strike in the industry that they are striking against, but don't have that much of an impact uh, on the rest of the economy. Uh, SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild combined, in effect, shutting down production in Hollywood and New York, Atlanta, to some degree, too, a big, as you know, big uh, uh, production town, um, will have an impact, according to various uh, economists, on the overall economy. So I'm wondering if you are concerned that right now it would appear as if there's great support among people who are not actors, who are not writers, who are not involved in the Hollywood industry. Uh, but I wonder if they will, if that support is going to wane, if this strike lasts a long time, as some people think it might. And as that sort of those tentacles reach out to other parts of the economy, that actually impact their jobs. Well, I actually hope that is if this is to go on further, that people become uh, stronger in their support for us because it's not us that we're going on strike. We are in this situation because the studios are refusing to budge. They are refusing to deal with the issues that actually affect uh, workers for day in and day out. And so if they if they start to feel this pain, which is really unfortunate, it's a terrible thing when you think about it. I hope that they direct it to the right place. And that would be the studios. Uh, Charles and I would like to point out that uh, we as broadcasters, everybody in the broadcasting industry here at KX is uh, also a member of SAG-AFTRA. We are covered under a different contract than the uh, TV and theatrical actors are. So we're not directly affected. Uh, right now, though, we are back with Gabrielle uh, Carteris, who is past president of uh, SAG-AFTRA. Let me, Gabrielle, read you uh, a brief statement. Uh, we did ask AMPTP, as we did yesterday, to participate in the program. They did not, but they did send a statement. It says we did reach out to the—that's uh, <laughs> our statement. It says that, uh, in part, the uh, studios presented a deal that offered historic pay and residual increases— substantially higher caps on pension and health contributions, audition protections, shortened series option periods, and a groundbreaking AI proposal that protects actors' digital likeness for SAG-AFTRA members. It goes on to say, by the way, that a strike is certainly not the outcome we hoped for, as studios cannot operate without the performers that bring our TV shows and films to life. The union has regrettably chosen a path that will lead to financial hardship for countless thousands of people who depend on the industry. That, again, is in part uh, the statement we got this morning from AMPTP, representing, of course, the movie and television uh, production end of this. Uh, how do you react to that, by the way? I actually find it stunning that uh, what they're saying, it sounds like it's just something that's a pat statement, because if you really look at it, the real dollar value Terms scale rates for actors in 2023 are now 10% lower than they were in 2020. So if we accepted the AMPTP's final offer, that would mean the performers would be paid 5% less in real dollar terms over the next three years than they were paid in 2020. That is not a substantial increase. 
It doesn't it doesn't look at the cost of living in any way. And um, it really, it's it's so painful to hear the same rhetoric over and over whenever, you know, we've done past negotiations. We really have hit a wall now. It's people cannot make this is supposed to be a career for performers. This is not supposed to be something that's a hobby. People have families they have to take care of. They need to be able to support their families and work with dignity. And I think that it's just appalling to hear this same kind of, you know, message to go out to the public, um, you know, just to go and to get them to be desensitized to the fact that what we are facing now is what everybody as workers across the country are facing. We are being, um, our, our pay is really being diminished and our value is not being recognized. So this is a very important time. And I disagree with what they've said. Uh, I heard someone say that Los Angeles is a factory town, in some ways probably the last factory town of the country. And our, the factory that we make is uh, entertainment, and everybody in L.A. is either in the entertainment industry or wants to be uh, in, in some way. Uh, so this is going to have a massive, massive impact on the lo- local economy, and not, not just redounding to the people, the rank-and-file actors who you know work paycheck to paycheck like a lot of people do, not the big-name actors like Tom Hanks. It's going to affect them as well. How long can this go on before it becomes untenable uh, on the actor's side? Well, you know, the actors are here to go the long haul. We're we're ready to go in tonight. If the amputee came forward and said, you know, we want to really do a, a, a real negotiation and really deal with the issues in hand and we're ready, we would go right in that room to do that negotiation with them. Until that happens, actors are ready. You saw this was the highest support we've ever had in terms of a strike authorization, over 95%. So... Uh, The fact that we have members who are just saying we can't take it anymore, we cannot live like this, they're going to hold out until they get have the real real negotiation that will make an impact. That is, you know, it's clear and we have support from around the the country. And whether this is a uh, industry town or not, industry is a movable feast all over this country. Actors are feeling this pain and they want to make sure that their voices are heard. So eventually, this strike, as all strikes do, will end in some sort of a negotiation. And by definition, that means that no one's going to get 100% what they want. The studios won't, uh, SAG-AFTRA won't, the Writers Guild won't. What do you think a final settlement actually, actually will look like? You know what? I can't uh, read the tea leaves on that. I know that there are certain things that we must have. Um, If we are to go really and close this negotiation, the AMPTP is perfectly aware of what those issues are. And so we'll have to wait and see what happens. But I I can't I can't tell you where it'll end. I just know where we are. And as a as a as a working supporting, you know, uh, group of workers, we are all standing together on this. No more. It stops here. We have to have this taken care of now. All right, Gabrielle Cartesh, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us today, former president of SAG-AFTRA. Later in the show, young people, they're rotting in bed. Ooh. But they're enjoying every second of it. Huh. Well, we'll explain. Don't worry. We we will. We better. <laughs> I have a look on my face right now of like when a dog yeah. sees a card trick. 
Oh. That's the look I have in my face. Like, what? You know, I always thought that you looked to me a little bit like a dog looking at a cartridge. Card card <laughs> <laughs> like the dog doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, right now, though, back to the Hollywood strikes. We've said it's not just writers, actors, and studios impacted by uh, entertainment industry uh, people uh, going in on strike. Horatio Wessler owns La La's. That is an Argentinian restaurant. It's got three locations, uh, Melrose Studio City near Production Center. So right there it gets that crowd. He's at the Studio City location right now. Thank you so much for joining Joining us. Yes, hello. Uh, how how worried are you about uh, these strikes and and if they go on for a long time? Uh, do you think you're going to be able to survive? Uh, well, we've been in business for a long time. Uh, we've gone through a lot of storms and riots and issues, and we will survive this one. Do we want to go through this storm? No, obviously we don't. But uh, we're in it now, so we're going to get through. We're going to pass it. Hopefully, it's not going to go as long as uh, expected in a way, but uh, we will be able to survive this. How uh, how many years have you been in business, did you say? 27 years now. And uh, so we've been through a few of this. And, and, uh, and how many employees do you have? Uh, I would say uh, total all three locations about one seventy. One hundred and seventy. Okay, so that's a big yeah. oper- big operation. Uh, yeah, one fifty maybe. Yeah, but one of the one of the restaurants now has been closed since December due to a fire. So we are under reconstruction in there. Okay. So we only have two locations open now. Do you? Envision the, the the possibility that if this strike goes on as some think it might, uh, a couple of months or so, are you going to have to cut back your staff? Uh, well, the business has gone gone down already since the uh, writers strike, so we drop about twenty percent uh, in uh, sales mainly during the lunchtime because we do a lot of uh, food with the studios and catering to the studios. So we've been affected on that side more. Uh, Not so much in the restaurant itself, a little bit in the restaurant. So we're not cutting down. We haven't cut down on our workforce yet. Uh, We don't have the necessity, the the, the need to do it yet. But uh, if this gets extended and it goes longer than we might have to but not for the time being i mean today's the first day of the double strike i'd say so we haven't noticed anything different yet uh, um with the writer strike it took about two weeks for us to be affected by it and so it's not instant when the strike comes in we get affected right away it takes a little while how much of your business do you think is directly due to, say, especially the restaurants uh, by the studios, due to actors and executives coming in? And do you expect that business, w- once the studios begin to kind of close down because they're not doing anything, uh, do you think that'll just dry up? And, and you may have to think about moving a uh, location. Uh, no, no, it's it's not going to be that extreme. We feel it. Uh, you know, we can see ourselves going down a little bit, but not to that extreme that we have to make any dramatic uh, changes. Now, uh, that's my personal position. There might be other restaurants that work uh, directly with the studios. I know there's uh, catering companies that do a lot of the 
parties for the studios and their employees. And those are a lot more affected than we are. We have a, you know, a percentage of ourselves that goes to uh, the, you know, the, the areas where the studios are. Uh, but, you know, our main business is not just with those uh, studios. Are, your, actors. Are, are your restaurants on the pricey side? And, and do you think you may have to adjust prices because of the strikes? No, no, we're not on the uh, more expensive side. Uh, I know other places that are more affected, the more expensive ones. We are basically uh, inexpensive restaurants. So we do gain, and every time that we go through this, we do gain those customers that don't want to spend $35, $40 per meal. So they stop going to those restaurants, and we gained those people, and then the people that cannot afford a $15, $20 menu prices like ours, then we lose those. But what's your best-selling so, What's your best selling item on the menu? Uh, we have a salad, a chicken salad. It's mm-hmm. called the Melrose Salad. It's about $15. What's in it? And then uh, it has rice, uh, chicken, feta cheese, lettuce, tomatoes, onions, and it has like a like huh. spicy honey mustard. I think Charles is hungry. <laughs> Sounds yeah, good. And then our steaks, obviously. I mean, we're like a steakhouse, but our prices are inexpensive. You know, I wonder, we're Charles, if, if we should maybe just close up right now and go down and get something to eat. It sounds like uh, a, it's a great idea. <laughs> go down there, yeah. Well, <laughs> thanks so much That's for joining exactly us. That's exactly what I'm going to be doing. Thank there you, you and nice talking to you. All right. Uh, enjoy. Good luck. Uh, Horatio Wessler owns some uh, restaurants near some production centers. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. It is hot outside. That's not a surprise. We all know as a big heat wave is bearing down on Southern California. But with the heat comes a lot of anger. Yeah, some experts, they say the heat can lead to more aggressive and violent behavior and things like road rage incidents. Here to explain all this is Rick Larrick from Duke University. He led a study a while back looking at whether heat was a factor in Major League Baseball pitchers purposely trying to hit batters. Rick, thanks for being with us. Yeah, my pleasure. So if I understand correctly, if it's really hot, A, you don't want to drive, and B, you don't want to play baseball. (laughs) No, that's right. There's an increased danger of certain kinds of problems that could happen. And I think the key thing to keep in mind is that you don't necessarily initiate more aggressive behavior, but your fuse is shorter. So when somebody does something annoying to you, you're more likely to retaliate. Uh, And that's what we found in the baseball study, which is uh, as games were played in hotter weather, it wasn't that pitchers are more likely to hit batters, you know, just full stop. It's more that if one of their teammates had been hit earlier in the game, then temperature really made a difference. And on hotter days, they were more likely to kind of retaliate and, and hit the other team's players. Is the, uh, and, is the problem doubly bad now? Because uh, not just the heat, but I, I get the general sense that the country's just angrier uh, every day because of social media makes us, you know, is designed to keep us angry. So we're already angry and the heat just makes it worse. That's a whole nother question. And, and I, I, I uh, believe in the idea you just said. Um, I don't know of any direct evidence for it. What What is true is that there's a lot of evidence for heat making us more easily triggered when other people provoke us. Is there a magic number? Uh, is it, you know, 80, 85, 90? Does it have to do with humidity? 
what's the magic point when we turn from civilized human beings into <laughs> horrid monsters? The the actual relationship. So when we studied this, we were looking at 55,000 Major League Baseball games. So it was a big sample. And the relationship was, you know, a pretty smooth one. So as you move from 50 degrees up to 90, um, it's pretty much a straight line. But I, I would say, you know, once you get to the 90s, uh, it, it really is a, a problem. And um, that obviously is where things max out. And uh, but yeah, it's like. 50 degrees, people really do keep their cool. So uh, we should, at KNX, when we give a weather forecast, maybe also give the anger quotient uh, with the temperatures. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, where they have the real feel. You know, it feels like this, but the anger quotient is going to be 92. Yeah, and it's kind of like the anger is like related to patience. And it's the fact that when someone cuts you off or your kids are loud in the house, you just respond to it differently when you're ready to be annoyed. Um, and I think part of it is you kind of think of the other person as more blameworthy and, and more deliberately misbehaving, whereas you're more forgiving at those cooler temperatures. Do you think it works in the reverse if it's very, very cold? Uh, do pe- Is there any evidence that people also, and, and I'm thinking of that because I remember a few years ago, I won't mention the country, but I was in a country in the winter and it was very, very cold and the people were really nasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the, no question. There's like a kind of optimal temperature we can all picture where life is good at 70 degrees. Um, and, you know, I, I've lived in various places in the Midwest where it gets to zero and you get irritable in the cold weather. So you could imagine people also getting annoyed in the cold weather. But um I guess we do more to escape the cold weather. We dress for it more easily, and we don't even encounter other people as much when the weather's cold. See, I've, I have a very Rob, I have a very limited uh, comfort zone for right. temperature. It's yeah. basically seventy three right. to seventy four. Yeah, that's it. If it's b- below seventy three or more than seventy four, yeah, I get really angry. Now I have noticed, uh, yeah. and, and maybe you can back me up with your knowledge and information here that when this studio it does get warm sometimes. Uh, Sometimes. When, when the show starts, uh, like when Charles and I come in here and it's warm in here, I'm very perturbed, Charles, just for I see him and I just want to punch him. Yeah, he's really uh, annoying. I, yeah, yeah but right now it's cool in here and I'm kind of okay with you. I can tolerate your for existence. For now, but that's not going to yeah, last. That might change. Oh, definitely Depending on will. whoever sets the thermostat. Right. Yeah. So is there something to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is the main message, which is the main thing that the heat does is it makes you more easily, uh, just shortens your fuse. So it's like... Any small I'm very uh, upset with you for saying that. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. So ter- go turn down the thermostat. Okay. Hey, hey, Rob, can you can you just hand me that baseball bat? No, I'm not oh, going to okay. hand you anything you can hit me with. <laughs> uh, we want to thank our guest there, Rick Larry from Duke University. When it gets hot, you get mad. Or you go into air conditioning yeah. and stay there. <laughs> well, there's a new Gen Z trend catching on through, of course, TikTok. It's called bed rot or bed rotting. It sounds nasty, but basically what it refers to is just people laying in bed all day. And I don't mean metaphorically all day. I mean, like all day. Do nothing but just lay in bed, sleep, eat, watch TV, get on the phone, get on the computer, whatever. That sounds great. Just laying in bed all day. That sounds really terrific, actually. I think about leaving, walking out of the studio right now. I think they've got, I think they've got something there. <laughs> it's sounding better and better all the time. Uh, Dr. Shelby Harris is the director of Sleep Health at Sleepopolis and is also a licensed uh, clinical psychologist. Uh, thanks for joining us. 
Thank you so much for having me. So what do you make of this trend, this uh, bed rotting thing? Good, bad? I think it's a fine line. The term is so ridiculous to me. You know, I think a lot of people are just overstressed and they need, um, they call it like a mental health day. They just need a break. And I think if you're going to spend a day in bed watching TV and just kind of checking out from the world, that's fine. But then it's a fine line because if you start to do that more often, it could be a sign of depression, anxiety, and it can really, the sedentary aspect can really then influence your mental health um, and just your health in general and actually can worsen sleep for some people. Well, what would be the kinds of stress that would impact someone in that generation, Gen Z, that would make them want to stay in bed all day? I mean, it could be anything. It could be financial stress, work stress, social stress. I mean, there's there's really anything and everything. And also, it doesn't even have to be due to stress. It could just be people that had a late night out. You know, may have just had too much to drink and just really want a day to decompress and not have anything to do, hence the rotting in bed. I want to go back and clarify a word that you used a couple of minutes ago. You said sedentary, and it sounded like you were using that in a negative fashion. You know, So sedentary is a bad thing. It's not, it's okay to have a day, like we all have a day where we just don't want to do anything and that's fine. But if you find that you're doing it a few days in a row or you're doing it multiple times a week or multiple times a month, that aspect of being sedentary can actually not getting movement, not getting light exposure, not getting out of your bed can, like I said, be a sign of depression or it can worsen mood for some people. And also when we think about sleep at night, you have to move your body and get some just light exercise, just using your battery essentially during the day is what will help sleep at night. And so for some people who spend too much time in bed during the day because depression, stress, whatever it might be, they actually have horrible sleep at night over time because they're not using their body as much. I was wondering, though, if we're going to start riding in bed, don't we need better beds? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the idea of a bed is to really just be there for a third of your life. So when you're asleep, ideally at night. So I think if people are spending all day in bed, that might be a different type of bed that we're going to start talking about. But ideally, you should really just be in your bed at night. And if you have limited space, then be sitting on the side of your bed, but really not spending all day in your bed. Yeah, I was going to bring that up because I have heard sleep specialists say that you should avoid doing anything in bed other than sleeping. Now I can think of a few other things you do in bed. But, you know, other than that, uh, you should not like uh, spend time reading or working on your laptop or, or even watching TV in bed is not necessarily good idea because then that makes your brain start equating the bed with that rather than going to sleep. Yes, that is a very um, kind of tried and true tenant in sleep medicine that we use all the time. I'm a bit of a realist having worked and lived in New York City and with studio apartments. So I'm a bit of like, if you want to spend 10, 15, 20 minutes in bed reading, doing, you know, whatever for a little while, that's not going to make or break. But when we're talking about bed rotting, that's people in bed all day long, multiple hours on end, that that is really going to associate the bed with living as opposed to sleeping. I mean, is this something that, you know, as I said before the outset, that, uh, you know, TikTok is making it sound like this is a a Gen Z generated idea. But I I have to believe that previous generations, maybe they didn't call it bed writing, but basically did. I mean, I had like an old uncle, uh, long dead now. But as far as I remember, I think he was always in bed. I don't think the guy did anything for a living. 
Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, it's just, they like to, you know, when you talk about social media, you put a, a fun term on it or an interesting term, it'll catch on and seem like it's something new, but it's really been around for ages. I mean, when we talk about people who have chronic pain, who have depression, there's a lot of, re- you know, red flags for people that are in bed all day long. And that's stuff that we would treat. And now it's just seen as a way, at least they're spinning it to be a way to just avoid and get better. But a lot of times it just turns to avoidance where you're not actually dealing with the things that are going on in your life. All right. So, you know, this being referred to as a TikTok trend, I think the people at TikTok are getting kind of upset that everything is a TikTok trend, even though it's it spreads on other social media, too. But uh, is there is there an age aspect of this, too, where it's Gen Z doing this bed rotting thing? Is there an age at which you should never, ever consider bed rotting? Like if you're getting up to be like 50, 60 years old? think there's really an age i think it's it's just you have to think about any medical complications you have like some people really can't get out of bed for various reasons but if you were doing these things to avoid doing things in your life then it doesn't matter what age you are we just need to really address it and say okay is this a time limited thing where you're just decompressing or is this a longer term thing that we need to really address well, if you stay there in bed long enough you won't be decompressing you'll be decomposing decompressing. <laughs> <laughs> There, and now, maybe now, that's where the word came from. Yeah, <laughs> now we're talking bed rot. All right, Dr. Shelby Harris, the director of sleep health at Sleepopolis, and uh, talking about uh, bed rotting, Charles. So, so you you were being very coy, untypically, atypically uh, coy before when you were thinking, you are saying there are other things you can think of I've heard. doing in bed. But, I, hear, and then you, I hear things. And then you totally dropped that line of, of thought. <laughs> Don't want to talk totally about it. totally dropped it. You noticed that, did you? Yeah, you just you, you threw it out there <laughs> right? for the entire world to hear, I, and then you ground it to a hole. I just you don't want to I don't want to equate the term bed rotting yeah. with that I thing see. that you other also do in bed. The other things you were thinking yeah. of. Or the couch. But you won't say. Or the kitchen. Yeah. Or okay. the table or whatever. I got to stop now. <laughs> the table? That's it. That's a whole nother show, Charles. Don't ever invite me to dinner. No. <laughs> don't don't eat there. Uh, this has been KX in depth. We'll be back on Monday.